Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you tonight as we take you to the Hyundai Texans mobile radio studio. There's plenty to discuss, as always. Houston <laughs> Texans in the news, as always. And we've got some other stuff going on around the National Football League as well. And you never know what comes up on the program. Johnny, how you doing, my friend? I am doing very well, Mark. Earlier today, shot some Texans film room, mm -hmm. some uh, historical ones, taking a look back. And basically, we went as far back as we could uh, that our film department had, which was 2007. So uh, some really interesting stuff to look back at and go, oh, man, I forgot about that. I forgot about this. And one of them that we looked at was the TJ Yates to Kevin Walter touchdown, which everybody mm. knows about. It's famous. We all, every Texan fan would remember that. It's at the top of everybody's list as maybe the greatest play in Texans history. And as I went back and I watched it from the all 22 angle, it should have never worked. Why? It should have never, Doesn't ever wa worked. Is Walter in the slot or is he wide? He's wide. And so I'll let people know. It should have never worked. But one Bengal, one Bengal linebacker stayed with Owen Daniels too long. And that allowed Walter to break wide open. And that's so what it was. he comes in, he's wide, and he comes in underneath yes. just across the goal line. So he came in behind two receivers. So Owen uh, Daniels and I think it was Derek Mason. Do I yeah. remember that? Mace played in that game. They both run to the goal line and kind of hitch up. Mm -hmm. and essentially what they were doing was creating a pick route for, for uh, Walter. But the Bengals were in zone. So if the linebacker doesn't stay with Owen Daniels and he actually plays his zone and picks up Walter, there's nobody open. Nobody. And you'll see it all on, on Texas Film Room, uh, on Texas 360, but there's nobody open. Jeez. Nobody. Well, but that linebacker messed it up. That one guy messed it up, and Kevin got to the open spot, and it was a touchdown. Well, we're doing a 53 on that play, that game, actually. Yeah. And Yates and I did a – not a film room, but we did a rewatch, right, on yeah, Zoom. Yeah. The yeah. game was rolling in fast motion, no time between the snaps. And it was interesting to hear TJ's perspective on everything. Yeah. And you didn't have time to set up the plays, really, because it was just coming in one after another. So the 17-yard scramble on third and 15, <laughs> yeah. you know, you knew that was coming. Uh, Daniels had a great one-handed catch on that drive yes. earlier. And he was really confident in the play to Walter that that would work, as I recall. Look, rookie, yay! I, yeah. I don't want to take away his confidence, right? Whatever he had at that particular moment. He threw for 300 yards in that game, that clincher. Yep. So, cool. I can't wait to see that. And by the way, we've got something coming out this week called Building the Texans, which is a yeah. episodic series of building the 2021 Texans, which obviously there's a lot of work to do and much of it already underway. And this first episode that's coming out this week is really the introduction of Nick Casario and David Culley. And we get them behind the scenes. So you have exclusive footage. It's going to be fun. And I can't wait for episodes two and three when you get inside the building more in-depth. We're inside the building now, but more in-depth into what they're doing lately. Uh, but it's a way to launch that series and something to look forward to. I know we're going to do some programming on it a little bit later on during the week. So I know you're fired up about that. Yeah, it's, that's something that, that you and I have talked about. Tyler Sutter's wanted to do for a while. And mm -hmm. I, can't wait, I can't wait to see it. That, I, lo I love when the teams around the league have done it. And we finally got an opportunity to do it. So I, I can't wait. It's, I'm, I'm so excited to see it. You know, we look, we're coming off four and 12 here, and this is a major project to get the 2021 Texans contending again in the AFC South. Uh, but one thing we're getting here is access that we've never gotten. You know, yes. you and I 
just getting into training camp the way we did last year oh. during a COVID year. And then during the year, getting all the mic'd ups that we got, look, we'd all rather win and have no access. I get it. Uh, just you want your access on Sundays. But it's cool to see what happens under the hood in these games and all the mic'd ups we have on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. People can go check that stuff out there. Anyway, let's get to uh, some of the business of the day. As uh, in no particular order, earlier in the day, it was reported that David Johnson and the Texans redid his deal. So, look, it's less um, – less cumbersome on the team financially. Uh, it keeps David around here. I'm sure he's not going to be the only option like we discussed last week when they cut ties with Duke Johnson. So I think that David Johnson, look, he'll be one of the backs in the mix for 2021. I expect a stable. Your thoughts on how he might fit in to this running attack that we know very little about right now. We really yeah. they haven't committed to anything. We assume more zone blocking and that kind of thing. But we don't really know for sure. We're making some assumptions here. They're not going to show their hand just yet. I imagine we'll get more information as the weeks go by. But this is what we've got to work with right now. Yeah, no doubt. I, when you think about you know, David, there were some moments in 2020, especially near the end of the season, where you're like, whoa, okay. Yeah, that, that fits. And I think what fits more for him is just being a, a better zone runner than he is anything else. And Look, we're all, we're all comfortable doing, doing a, a certain sort of thing. And when David runs the football, that's what he is most comfortable doing. And I was watching the Bengals game, I think it was the other day, and just seeing some of the cuts and some of the things that he sees out of that zone game, uh, that, I, it was like, wow, man, let's, okay, let's continue to do those kind of things. So there's some of that. And look, David ended up getting COVID. He got banged up with the concussion. You know, any kind of momentum that, that started, you know, I remember going to Jacksonville right after the bye week. It was a week nine, week eight. I can't remember what it was. Week eight, I think it was week nine. Either way. And he comes out of the game and right out of the shoot, zone run, cut back, big game, good drive to start, has another run to start the next drive, kind of, you know, similar, not as many yards. But then throwing the ball in the flat, he gets a concussion. And he's out for two, three weeks. Then he comes back, and then he ends up getting COVID, so he misses another game or two. And it was just, you know, start, you know, starts and stops. And also, you're getting to a point with David that he's – I hate to word, use the word old. That's not the word I'm looking for because he's way younger than either one of us. But in football seasoned. terms – Yes, that's well put. He is seasoned. And for a running back, he is well seasoned. But there's still something there. And he's a veteran. The last thing you'd want to do is bring a bunch of rookies into the room or young guys in the room, and there's no veteran to help or lead or whatever the case might be. So you bring David to camp, and look, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you bring him to camp, you give him an opportunity to com compete. I've said I think there are plenty of running back options in this draft. Plenty. I think you can find one in every round of this draft, and you can go, yeah, even the guy in seventh round? Yes. I think there are running backs all throughout this draft that you can add to any offense, this offense, others. You're going to find a ton of running backs, big, small, short, dual threat guys, kind of weapon X type guy. you got a lot of different options. So you throw a, a, a player or two like that with David, with Dontrell Hilliard, with Buddy Howell, and you look up and think, okay, throw them all together in the booyah base and see what we got. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll, let's go from there. But – Bringing David back, there was some uh, uh, rumor, whatever it was. There was a 
report about a week ago that that was what the Texans were angling to do. And now it looks like, like they've done that and uh, we'll see what happens. But I think from the standpoint of having a veteran around a guy that has had some success and did have some success when he was doing last year, what he was good at when he was doing that, I think he was very, very good. And by the way, he has a whale of a pass protector, an excellent pass protector, like Mm. put linebackers on their backside, good pass protector. So there's always that. So zone game, pass protection. Hey, those are two things that you'd really like to see from running back. And you definitely get it with David Johnson. Well, those are the pluses. And uh, like we said last week, 130 yards from scrimmage, the last three games, uh, that was the average. So he started to show you what he can do in, I would say in this offense, but like I said before, we don't know what this offense really is. I think Pep Hamilton's going to have a major influence. You have Tim Kelly coming back, and we just don't know how it's all going to shape out. But that was some news that came down. We mentioned some of the things that happened yesterday. Today's position group, Johnny, is tight ends. We haven't done this one yet, and it's one of our faves to talk about the Texans' tight ends. And Pharaoh Brown is going to be a Texan this year for sure. He was a restricted free agent. And we love the story of him catching the TD at Cleveland. We talked about it yesterday a little bit. Uh, he's going into year four of his career, uh, accredited seasons. And this is a big body, Johnny. I mean, he's 266. We all remember, I think he had a couple of runs where he was taking people with him, giving them a ride of yeah. sorts. And it looks like he's the kind of guy who can do a lot of different things as a tight end blocker pass catcher look he's not Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey he's not that kind of player but he's going to be able to catch a pass or two per game that could be big plays maybe significant first down pickups and certainly be a good blocker for you and really this is a player I love these stories where this time last year he wasn't on anybody's radar involving the Houston Texans but he ended up being a contributor and he's going to be a contributor in 2021 yeah no doubt he's I think a guy that is highly athletic before the injuries he was a guy that I loved I thought this guy was going to come to the league and do some great things and then the major injury had really kind of uh, set him back a little bit and set him back in a big way I think he can still play man but you talk about a guy that will destroy you in the blocking game my goodness and you can do different things with him as the Texans did they line him up as a fullback as a sniffer as an inline guy they did a lot of different things with him and I think that's the kind of player that you want to have a guy that's uh, you know, fairly hungry to continue to prove himself mm-hmm. that he's worth, he's worth the investment from the team with the effort of the coaching staff financially, of course he can do that. And you know, you think back to that Patriots game, he's dragging defenders down the field. I mean, I think about some of the blocks that he put on guys throughout the year, a couple of key blocks on touchdown runs. So, he, to me, is somebody you bring back into the fold and you throw in with Jordan Akins um, and those two, and like, all right, you know, you got a little something here. Now, um, with those two guys, I, I feel like, hey, look, you don't have the, the, the tight end position absolutely, you know, lock, stock, and barrel. You still have Darren, Darren Fells under contract. And you've got – the free agency process. I mean, look how Farrah Brown got here. I mean, he was you know yep. kind of cast off and they brought him in. So there are a lot of different ways that you can continue to improve that position. But with Farrah Brown and Jordan Akins, that's definitely a great place to start. Well, let's talk about uh, Fells here for a moment because he is under contract still. Mm-hmm. And Darren Fells, who you know played in all 16 games last year, 
the kind of player who can help any football team. You get the feeling. He had 21 catches last year. And, look, the year before he had the seven TD receptions and led the tight ends and set the tight end franchise record for TD receptions. I'm not sure what to expect because, as we mentioned these players' names, look, they could be getting released any time, traded, whatever. But Fells right now is still on the roster. So when we do these position breakdowns, I always have to give the disclaimer, this is as of this moment. We've done position group breakdown uh, various breakdowns earlier this offseason and, you know, guys have left since then that we've evaluated, but that's just the nature of this time of year. This is where we are at now. Of course, we're going to do this again probably twice more uh, until training camp or certainly until the uh, regular season begins. But your thoughts on Fells overall as a player? I love him. I love interviewing him. Former pro basketball player. I think six years as a pro basketball player overseas. Real interesting guy. Yeah, no doubt. And I love that basketball background. I think there's a lot that comes with that type of background. When he's running a route, boxing guys out. I mean, how many times have we seen him just box a guy out, come up with a catch, first down, touchdown, whatever it might be. And I remember when he was originally signed, he came into our, he came into our studio and he sat down and Jordan Thomas was messing with him and was like, yeah, here comes our left, left tackle or our right, right tackle. And Darren Fels has been so much more than that. Yeah, he has been a guy that can protect and can run block and do those things. And he can be that pass protector, that left-left tackle, right-right tackle that he envisioned. But, man, he became the receiver that we never saw coming and created a really nice synergy uh, with anybody who was under center um, most of the time to Sean, but also with A.J. McCarron when A.J. played at the end of the season. So I think that's a guy I would feel comfortable with no doubt, no doubt. But I know as the season wore on, you know, Farrell Brown was getting a few more opportunities. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that Darren Fells doesn't have a role on this particular team. And and look, from a from a leadership standpoint, a guy that's been there from a professional standpoint, I guarantee you that Darren Fells is a guy in that locker room, when the guys can be in the locker room, that those young guys are looking up to. There's no question about that. I mean, I know when I would have him for interviews after games, I'd love talking to him because he would always say something that I wasn't thinking about. And like, oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Okay. He is the, he's the epitome of the type of professional you want to have in your locker room at any position. So I hope that he is back. And, again, the business of football kind of gets in the way of our conversations in some, in some way, shape, or form. But I think all that he offers to a team would be valuable as we make this, this move to a new era led by David Culley's head coach, Nick Casario's GM. Now, what about Jordan Akins? Because when we looked at Jordan as he was developing first couple of years, you thought, well, this, this is a guy who could really emerge as, you know, maybe a Pro Bowl caliber tight end. He's got those kinds of chops, it appears. This year, at times it looked really good. At times it looked like something wasn't right, whether it was an injury or whatever. You know, toward the second half of the season, it just didn't look the same. Some of the numbers were okay in some of the games, but it just didn't look the same to me from Jordan Akins. And this is a player you really want to see step up because he does have a lot of natural talent, former pro baseball player. Uh, yeah. I always like that because – guys who have been around any kind of professional athletic situation, especially in baseball, where, where the minor leagues will make you appreciate everything you get <laughs> yes. as a pro football player. Yes. Uh, I just thought it was notable how it 
wasn't quite as good as it was the year before as a total campaign. And look, it wasn't for anybody. They were four and 12, but what do you think of Aikens moving into 21? You know, he's kind of a, I don't want to use the word enigma. That's not the right word to use, but I felt like Jordan was really on a, on a fairly solid trajectory to start the year, you know, in the Mm -hmm. first uh, four games, uh, five games, whatever it was, you know, he caught 14, 16, 17, you know, 17 passes in the first, um, I'm sorry, he caught 10, 14 passes in his first four games. And it looked like, wow, okay, you know, that's, that's on pace for 56 a year. But it was in that fourth game, if you remember, where he got hit by Harrison Smith. And Harry the, Harry the hitman, as they call him in Minnesota, lit him up pretty good. Harrison got thrown out of the game with that hit. But it cost Jordan, I think, three games. Mm. And that really kind of slowed his momentum down. Now, he ended up having a huge game against New England. But then after that, it was like he never really, I think to that point, kind of got back on track. He had two pretty big, good ball games, I think, against Indy and Cincy. But he never really kind of got back on track and back in rhythm after he'd had that start. I mean, those three catches he had against Minnesota, I think he had them in the first quarter or the first quarter and a half. Yeah. So he was really kind of on his way. I thought that was going to be kind of a breakout game for him. And then, it, you know, the concussion slows him down. And You know, we talked about David Johnson earlier in the show. You know, he had both of them had a concussion. Obviously, David had the COVID. Jordan didn't, but it was like he never really could kind of get back on track at that point. And I think if he were able to keep that momentum, I think that would be a big thing for him. And also for Jordan, we talk about the business of football. He's going into his fourth year. That's a contract year. So you obviously are going to try and put your best foot forward. Jordan knows all about, you know, contract years and, and all that kind of stuff having played baseball. But yeah, that's always an extra incentive for a guy. I think Jordan Akins can be the type of tight end that they envisioned when they drafted him in 2018. He got to that point, I think, last year, like, okay, he's ready to kind of turn the corner and be that guy. And then got slowed down with a concussion. I hope that he can start off 2021 healthy and get rolling early and keep it rolling throughout the, the full season. All right, you said that Akins can be an enigma, but Kahale Waring, what is he? He might be an enigma, the enigma of all enigmas. Here's the water polo player. They drafted him in the third round, 2019. He gets hurt at Green Bay in training camp practice when they were up there for about a week. Finally gets on the field this year, and we saw flashes, but we didn't see him make the case that he belongs for sure. Clearly, he's got a lot of athletic talent. I mean, this is indisputable. The question is, can he really improve from year two to year three to show that he needs to stick around, have a solid roster spot, be a solid contributor, and rise and possibly someday become a starter? (laughs) The $64 million question. And, you know, you you can – I championed his cause back when he was a rookie because a lot of people, if not all people here in Houston, weren't watching San Diego State football uh, in 2018. You know, that was not <laughs> something they were doing, you know, late at really? night watching a, watching a 10 o'clock game of Kali yeah. Waring on TV. But when I got a chance to watch him, I'm like, this guy, man, holy smokes, he's got every attribute you're looking for, athletic to the core, works his butt off. I know Drew had an interview. It's funny, Drew did a, a Drew's dozen with him during the season and texted me afterwards and was like, hey, man, I really love Kali Waring. 
and he just told me what they had talked about and how much Kahali really loves football, loves the X's nose aspect of it. And it's just a matter of kind of learning it and digesting it. Mm-hmm. And then going out on the field after getting to full health and then showing what he can do. Enigma is the exact word I would use. I kind of don't want to, I don't want to use it a bad way. It's just, you said, what do we have with Kale wearing? And I'm like, I, I don't know. If I relied on my scouting report, which I still feel pretty good about, I still think it is an NFL tight end who has got athletic ability beyond a lot of tight ends in this league. But through two years, there just haven't been as many opportunities to kind of show that mm-hmm. because out the whole year in 19. So, okay, he's really, a, he's really a rookie in 2020. And then he slowed down kind of throughout that season. So what, what do we have? Ah, we've got a really good athlete that I would love to say, yes, we need to see everything that he's got. But mm-hmm. the problem is, if you take that stance and say, okay, Kahali is going to be our number one guy and everybody else is just going to be there to compliment him, well, that's a, that's a big risk considering how the last two years have gone. To me, with Farrell Brown and Jordan Aikens in the mix, I think Kahali is in a really good position that he can go to training camp. He doesn't have to be the number one guy. However, the coaching staff can kind of dangle that carrot saying, look, you should be our number one guy. You should be the number one tight end. Are you going to be that number one tight end? and see whether he gets there. And if he doesn't, then you got Jordan Akins and Farrell Brown at a minimum to fall back on. Boy, Johnny, when you consider what they've invested. Now, they haven't put first-round draft choice investment equity into the position. But they've definitely put some investment into the position because you think about Jordan Thomas, Jordan Akins, Akins being a third-round draft choice of 2018, wearing 2019 third-round draft choice, mm-hmm. uh, yet they pick up Fells as a free agent and he sets the tight end TD reception record. They right. pick up Barrow Brown and it looks pretty good. It looks like they really do like him because they just re-upped with him. Right. It's a strange position for this team. It feels like uh, they just can't get it right since the Owen Daniels, Joel Dreesen, Garrett Graham era, really. They just can't get it the way they want it. You know, Ryan Griffin was pretty good. There's no question about that. But they just haven't been able to get it done the way they would like to as a franchise at this position group. And I, and I think it's unfortunate, Mark, that we ended up losing C.J. Fedorowicz after, oh, yeah. after three-plus three years because I think C.J. was really on his way, but then the concussion issues forced him into retirement. No question was on he his was way. He was on his way. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was there. And then the concussion issues ended his career, and I think that was unfortunate. But, but you're right, a third-rounder in Aikens, a third-rounder in Kahale Waring, a six-rounder Jordan Thomas. They've tried to get the players at that position – and find the right guys at that position. And I, you see glimmer, you know, glimpses of hope from all of them. If you ask me, I think you see really good things from those guys. But it's just a matter of can you put it together for a full 16 games and see where you are, see where you're at at that point, in particular Jordan Akins and Kyle Ware. I don't think anybody's going to be shocked if they draft a tight end at some point this uh, April. Not a great tight end draft. Uh, right, there well, are there we guys, go. but not a great tight end draft this year. So. But the, the, it's not look, like they, running back. Running back is tremendous. They might have to just piece it together then. All right, coming up, we're going to play the game that everybody loves, and we usually play it on Tuesday. At least that's what I'm going to tell you right now. Who's better? Who's better? Coaching comes up. Quarterbacks come up. Let's find out next on Texans Radio. Next on Texans Radio. Next on Texans Radio. 
next. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you, Texans All Access. All right, Johnny, we're going to play the game that everyone loves to play. Everyone's got an opinion, so play along at home, folks. Who's better? You ready to go? I'm ready to go, always. Okay, now, with J.J. Watt going to Arizona, there was a lot of talk about Kyler Murray the last mm-hmm. couple of days. So who's better, Kyler, Mur- Kyler Murray or anybody else in the NFC West? So it's basically, where does Kyler stack up with the other NFC West QBs? You know, you have Russell Wilson, you have Jimmy Garoppolo coming back from injury, and Mm -hmm. now you have Matt Stafford running things with the Rams. So who's better, Kyler Murray or anybody else? I mean, I know everyone's going to say Russell Wilson at the very least, and maybe Stafford too, as long as he's upright, but... Maybe not. How do you feel? Murray going into year three here. He's developing. Maybe more weapons. Are, they're obviously going to add to the mix there before it's all said and done. I think Russell Wilson is the number one there in that division. I would tell you, this is how a lot of times I answer who's better. Who would I want to go win one game? I would take Kyler Murray. And I would take Kyler Murray over Matt Stafford. Yes. Okay, but, but Russell Wilson – Number one in that division. Number, yeah, Russell Wilson won. But at number two, comparing Matt Stafford and Kyler Murray, to me, number two is Kyler Murray. Number three is Stafford. And four is Jimmy, Jimmy G. Garoppolo. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy G. G. But still, that's a, that's a pretty stout quarterback division at that it point. It is. It is. I mean, my goodness. Look, I think Garoppolo's good. I just – I think everyone overreacted to that overthrow, that missed yeah, deep throw mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl. And last I checked, you are allowed to take the field on defense and stop the opponent if yes. you lead in the fourth quarter. That is However, correct. that did not happen for the San Francisco 49ers when the Chiefs won it. Okay, here's the next who's better. Okay. Obviously, a lot of talk about Urban Meyer. Here he is, big time, one of the best college coaches ever, right? I mean, yes. no question, right? Correct. So who's a better pro coach prospect? Urban Meyer – He's with Jacksonville now, or anybody else in college football right now that you would take. Would you take Urban Meyer or the field? Would you take Nick Saban back to the NFL? He went 9-7 and seven a year with the Dolphins, and I think his quarterbacks there were Sage Rosenfels and was it Farratt? Was it uh, Gus Farratt? I, I think, think it so, was. Yeah. I think it was. Gus Farratt. And he went 9-7. and seven. And the next year he wasn't doing as well. Then he had the denial that he was going to Alabama, and, and it then just went unraveled. Alabama, yeah. yeah. You bring up Nick Saban. That's not who I would want. Okay. Because I think – how do I say this properly? I think Nick is wired in such a way that, at, especially at this point, I don't think that it would be good for him in the NFL. But I do think mm. it would be good for Lincoln Riley to come to the NFL. And how about this? I give you this coaching combination. Lincoln Riley, head coach. He calls up the old sage wise, I shouldn't say old, not old, sage wise Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator and Lincoln Riley and Wade Phillips go somewhere. How would you feel about that? Uh, it's, it's a pretty attractive combo right there. Yeah, it really is. So and I would take Lincoln Riley. Over Urban Meyer. Yes, I would. Okay. I would. I, in the, I am, you know, Urban, I think is a fantastic coach. Mm-hmm. I think he's a fantastic coach college coach he won a lot of games because he recruited better than everybody else he recruited better than everybody else so there's always that question of okay 
can you for 17 weeks out of 18 weeks motivate and continue to keep your professional football players all thinking one thing and that's to win like you did back in college. And I think that's going to be kind of tough. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence is going to make things easy, but Urban Meyer won a lot of games because of how he recruited. You take that out of the mix. Now, how much of a good football coach is he? I see that with Lincoln Riley. I see that with Lincoln Riley. Sometimes I think the best college coaches are the Gary Patterson's of the world. Not that Mm -hmm. he's the best, but guys at that level who can't just reload all the time, like, go get me the best quarterback, give me two of them, as a matter of fact, and I'll take three left tackles, and, you know, they can just have whatever they want. It's a shopping spree in recruiting for them, but the guys who kind of make it work year after year and crank out winning seasons and eight and fours and nine and threes with, quote, lesser talent, I hate to insult the talent, that impresses (laughs) me a lot in college football And I think that it's very hard to say a guy like Urban Meyer is going to be better than the best or the very best group of pro coaches. We'll see how it goes. There's a lot of excitement, intrigue around Urban Meyer being in Jacksonville. I cannot declare that that's going to work, right? I cannot say for sure that is going to work. Should anybody be shocked if Jacksonville is not winning by next year, by 2022? How much of a disappointment is it if they don't, go to better than eight and eight in 2022 oh i think that's absolutely the case now on urban meyer i will say he did win at bowling green he did win at utah give him that but i think in the nfl different animal than both um he's gonna have to draw on that experience at utah and bowling green and that was 20 you know 17 18 years ago yeah at a minimum so uh it's gonna be tough i think early on they are going to have some. They are going to end up with a lot of young players. Can he and his staff develop them into top-notch NFL players? If that's the case, then you're going to be talking about one of the better coaches and teams for a long time there in Jacksonville. I'm not quite ready to go that far yet. All right, continuing to play, who's better with John Harris? So, Johnny, let's go right into the season. It's 2022. It's midseason. Actually, it's getting to the postseason now. It's December. Who's better, Kansas City? or anybody else that you could pick in the AFC? Has anybody caught Kansas City as the best team in the AFC? Has Buffalo done it? Is Cleveland going to make that move? No way. Is pick another team. Hmm. End of season 2022. Yeah. Is it still the Chiefs? At what point does it start to break down? Does the team around Mahomes break down a little bit and it gets to be a little bit more difficult? Still the best quarterback. Okay, fine. But he's got a squad around him. I know. And at some point, some points, I would say they're cap issues, but they're going to have some to make some decisions on guys such that either they're going to be left with Kelsey, Tyreek, Patrick, um, Tyron, Chris Jones, and then a bunch of nobodies or rookies or they're going to have to make a decision on some of those guys because that cap hit is going to be mean very, very soon. Or guys that they're starting to develop, like Miko Hardman, they're not going to be able to re-sign. That's going to catch up with them at some point. And maybe the Tampa Bay Bucks gave some sort of uh, roadmap. Now, can you execute that? Can you get on the map and do it yourself? Uh, who's to say? But I do think that there were at least some things to take out of that loss that Kansas City had in the Super Bowl. And maybe that's the kind of thing, Mark, that starts to slow them down a little bit. You never know. We saw with the Packers back in 20, 
11. They went 15 and one with Aaron Rodgers. And then they got knocked out of the playoffs early on. It was kind of like the invincibility was sort of lost for the Packers at that point. And maybe that happens with the Chiefs. But I think 2022, trying to find the team that could overtake them. Yeah, man, I'll tell you this. If Carson Wentz is all that in a bag of chips, it's the Colts. Ooh, in the AFC. If, 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 if Carson Wentz is all that in a bag of chips, but we'll see. That better be one heck of a bag of chips, Johnny. Yeah, it is. All right, here's one more who's better. Are you ready for this one? Of course. We just did a Sam Houston State game. You're going to do more this, uh, this uh, I would say, offseason, but it's their yep. season because they're playing in the spring. Well, mm-hmm. they're going to play the Battle of the Potty Woods again at NRG Stadium this fall against mm-hmm. Stephen F. Austin. So who's better? What's better? That rivalry or any other rivalry in the Lone Star State? And think for a moment because how many rivalries do we really have with the Longhorns yeah. And Aggies not playing. Aggies and Red Raiders don't play, right? Mm-hmm. And you have SMU, TCU. Okay, all right, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, UH play Rice every year anymore? Bayou Bucket? No, I don't know. Uh, it, it's not every year. Is the Battle of the Piney Woods it in the Lone Star State now? And if it is, look, that's a great rivalry, a great name. Two really excellent schools. But come on, Aggies Longhorns. You got to play. What are you doing? I'm not even answering this. This is a question on a talk show. That shouldn't be. It should be Aggies Longhorns. That should be the rivalry. Come on. I was about to consider answering that question until I heard you say that, and I realized, oh, Mark's only answering asking this question because he wants to go to Aggie Longhorn. Yep. (laughs) That's That's all that is. So, it, listen, it's a great, great rivalry. And I think Stephen F. is, is going to be um, – is taking the program to a different level. I can't wait to see them all go into the WAC in 2021. That's going to be really cool when Abilene Christian, Stephen F., Tarleton, and Sam all go to the WAC. It's going to be one heck of a football conference in due time. Okay. Coming up next, a number gets unretired for a player we know very well. Was it the right thing to do? Is it ever the right thing to do? We'll discuss next on Texans Radio. Next. It's Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. All right, Johnny. Here we go with J.J. Watt getting to wear number 99 because they unretired the number. The Cardinal franchise, which is currently located in Phoenix as the Arizona Cardinals. Remember, they used to be the Phoenix Cardinals, and they were the St. Louis Cardinals, and they were the Chicago Cardinals, which a lot of people didn't know until this week. But Marshall Goldberg, a player who no one ever heard of until this week. I'm just kidding, but some people had. Uh, Even McLean had to look this up. 99 was the number. It was retired by the franchise, but uh, his family said it's okay to unretire the number for Watt. He would have been honored to have Watt wear his number. I love it when people speak for other people. Maybe Marshall Goldberg is rolling around in his grave right now saying, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) It was retired. I don't care who J.J. Watt is or he's in heaven looking down saying that. I don't know. But if it starts to rain a lot in Phoenix, you know, there's a problem with Marshall Goldberg having his number unretired. Is this the right thing to do or not? Your thoughts? Well, I don't know how it came to be. But the Cardinals called Goldberg's daughter, mm-hmm. Ellen Tulos, and asked if they could have permission to wear number 99. If JJ could wear number 99 in Arizona. And Tulos said, 
JJ has my blessings and I'm sure my father would be more than delighted for him to carry it on. Mm -hmm. So they did the right thing. They got the permission from the family, from the daughter. She's happy. And so 99 will be worn for the Cardinals yet again. And I think it's the right thing to do. And I think actually I was joking around about Marshall Goldberg. I believe that he would love this because guess what? It brings his name back up again. Otherwise, yes, absolutely. Otherwise, no one's discussing you, right? No. It's over. Uh, the daughter gets a little publicity out of yes. it. It becomes conversation. She'll probably get a suite for a game and meet JJ, whatever. Yes. It'll be fun. It'll be great for everybody. And I think that numbers should never really be permanently retired. They should be honored. Like Andre Johnson is in the ring of honor. Now, yes. 80 is not retired by the Texans, but – if let's say, uh, well, they're not going to give it out. Okay. You're not going right. to see like Isaiah Coulter. If you said, yeah, I'd like number 80, they'd be like, no, you're not getting 80. <laughs> Pick another one. We're not giving out this number, but it's, so it's sort of, uh, uh an unwritten rule, if you will, in the equipment room. Now, right. if a stud receiver came along and they asked Andre's permission or just asked for his feedback, you know, I could see Andre saying, yeah, you know, especially a guy from the U or whatever. Look at Michael yeah. Irvin, right? Yes. They don't retire his number in Dallas. I mean, everybody wears 88, not everybody, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. Well, I think what, what I've said all along is when um, I think Des Bryant was coming into the league and mm-hmm. I was doing my national radio show, and there was a thought about him wearing number 88. Michael Irvin had worn it, Drew Pearson had worn it. It's like, can he wear 88? And I remember saying, I think what they ought to do is make it like a legacy number. The guys that have worn it and reached a particular level, like gotten to all pros, pro bowls, if they worn that number, then they're the ones that decide the next guy in line to wear it. So then Des Bryant wore it. Well, then CD Lamb got to Dallas and he wanted to wear it. And yeah, what if he stinks? What if CD Lamb? (laughs) You got to change your number. You got to change, man. You're not going to, you're not going to be that guy. So, you know, what if, the, what if the Texans end up with, like, uh, Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase, like a top-notch wide receiver, mm-hmm. and to pay homage to Andre, they're like, I want to wear 80. Mm-hmm. Then call up Andre and say, hey, look, um, can they wear 80? What do you think? It's Jamar Chase. Do you, you, you cool with that? No, like, no second, third round. No, it's got to be like a, like a name, first mm-hmm. round type mm-hmm. of guy that's got to be able to wear it um, and, do, and do it right. So – I, that's what I would like them to do. Like, hey, look, this guy wants to wear number 80 to pay homage to Andre. Andre, what do you think? Yes, let him do it. Okay, cool. Far more complicated would be 10 because he's still in the league. Yes. He still wears 10. Yes. And I think a quarterback coming in or somebody like that who wanted to wear 10 would be a little bit easier yeah. to give out 10 to other than a receiver. That's just my thought off the top of my head. But uh, when I say easier, that might have to go all the way up to Cal McNair to make yeah. that decision. Like, who gets to wear certain numbers? Look, they gave Whitney 59 pretty easily. I mean, Whitney comes in 2012, and I'm like, mm-hmm. look, the body of D'Amico Ryans isn't even cold yet. The memory is still fresh in my mind. You got this guy wearing 59, <laughs> right? D'Amico is in Philadelphia. I forget, I forget and there I have Whitney wearing 59. And now, like, Whitney is so unmistakably 59. I know, I know. It's so I, weird. Because when you said it, I'm like, wait a second. Where are you going with this? 59. And then he said D'Amico, oh, oh, yeah. Well, oh. remember, who was wearing 56 in training camp? And we were thinking, oh, oh boy. Uh, uh, it, was, it was a young linebacker. But then they gave it to Kyle Emanuel. Oh, yeah. And Emanuel, like, physically – is built a lot like Cush is, yeah. like size-wise. 
Um, and actually kind of the same thing played outside in college, but then went, you know, to inside linebacker when he got to the NFL. So from a body type standpoint, they look very, very similar. And so I always did a double take when I saw Kyle Emanuel with number 56 on. Oh, it's weird. Very Johnny, weird. thanks so much for being with us. Always a pleasure. Yeah, Mark. Thank you. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with Draft Wednesday with John Harris. I'll be on the show at some point. Let's have some fun. Go to HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app for everything Houston Texans. Thanks a lot for listening, and go Texans.